0: The future is already happening now. That's the main theme of our discussion with Johnny Kovacevic, CEO of Copper Bank, who is back to give us his outlook on the economy and what's changing for the metals, in particular base metals like copper. Johnny, welcome back to Kiko. It's been a long time. I'm, it's a pleasure speaking with you today.
1: Very topical, David. It's the end of 2020. It's been a very tumultuous year. And we're going to talk today in finer details about this Green New Deal, and of course, of electrification. Who's been naughty? Who's been nice? Who are the winners? Who are the losers?
0: Yeah. So let's start with uh, what you were telling me offline. Everything you have been sort of predicting in terms of what the industry is doing towards electrification, digitization, it's already happening now, isn't it?
1: When I gave the keynote at Sesco's famed copper dinner in 2017, This is the who's who of the copper mining, trading, fabricating world. It takes place in Santiago, Chile. Everyone knows Chile is the world's largest producer of copper. And my opening line was to these executives, you are all in the energy business because the future of copper is about energy. And it's as the world goes from today, 20% of final energy usage is electrification that's being acknowledged that it will go to about 50, five, zero percent in the next 25, 30 years. This has a tremendous impact on the demand of everything that enables electrification, the way we generate it, the way we utilize it. and this is what we're going to talk about today.
0: Okay, let's start with the green New Deal first and how that impacts the base metal so. Can you summarize what this is, the Green New Deal? People have This is not new, by the way. This is, this, is some, uh, this is an idea that's been passed around for many years already, several years. And now, with uh, President-elect Biden taking office in January, it's, it's becoming more of a reality than ever.
1: Yeah, talking about this Green New Deal or these kind of a greeny themes, you either gain a lot of friends or a lot of enemies. I'm in the middle. I'm an investor. And I look at it this way. This is not just about the United States. There is about $10 trillion of stimulus, more than that probably now, that's gonna be uh, flooded to the global economy, China, Europe, America, other economies. The vast majority of that is gonna go into modern infrastructure, electrification, or as some people call the Green New Deal. I will tell you, people like me, that I understand incumbent energy, I've followed it for over 20 years, but I really understand this modern energy pivot. If you cut all these things in half, how do they work? What's the impact? I used to say things, like, I will suggest to you, I will submit, in my opinion, not anymore. Now I can say because so much pivot has already occurred, I tell people, I declare to you, the facts are, the numbers are that these CEOs are investing $50 billion in the in the case of Volkswagen, for example, to electrify their entire fleet right now. This had nothing to do with COVID or stimulus, they were already doing it. And so you can start to look at the ramifications of that, you know, in one thing where you really want to talk about energy at the world's greatest uh, conglomeration of energy CEOs, investors, and management. This takes place in Houston, Texas at Dan Jurgen's Sarah week cost $10,000 to get a ticket there, just to give you context. And the last two years, they didn't do the meeting in 20, but in 18 uh, strategies for a new energy future and 2019, a pivot towards the new energy model. What we used to argue there is how long this would take, not what was it happening, no one cares. Because if it's in 2040, talk about it then. We can't do that anymore. This is happening in real time. And in this decade, you will see a tremendous pivot take place. So there will be ramifications for the winners and losers. And, and of course, we're talking about the five major electric metals: copper and aluminum, nickel cobalt lithium and there are some other ones and another thing that we should uh, touch on is the role of rare earth elements this will to sector to go away from china and have a production elsewhere in the world but also the actual commodities and one that i think is going to really be on the front page and people have to pay attention to is scandium because it's you add half a percent or 1% scandium to aluminum, and it becomes super aluminum for the weighting of steel. But
0: we'll talk about that later. Yeah, I, want, I want to start with the, uh, the role of copper and base metals in green energy. So I'm looking at the EIA data from 2019, and most of the electricity from the United States produced in 2019 was still from fossil fuels. So 23% coal, 38% natural gas. That adds up to 61% fossil fuels. Is this percentage... Is that going to you need this percentage to come down and for the rest of the energy to be produced more from, from uh, things like uh, solar, wind to, to, have a, to have a significant impact on copper? Do we not?
1: You do, and we, we, you notice this big pivot. You're right, the, the coal to gas pivot, coal to natural gas, and coal is going to continue to suffer around the world. Natural gas will be a winner, and that's because as we dramatically grow wind. And solar power in many jurisdictions around the world, most, I will, I will say, peaker power, the optimal peaker power is natural gas. But coal just doesn't work. It has nothing to do with um, climate change or, or wearing a bumper sticker on your car. It's the fact that it, it, it's not instantaneous. Natural gas is the best peaker power because you can turn it on in five minutes. So when the sun or the wind aren't quite robust enough to, to keep that network going, you need to have something in the backup. But in aggregate, when you're talking about 365 days, 24 hours a day, how much actual fossil fuel has been burned over those many hours with with coal, usually it's a five or six or seven day turnaround up and down. That's why we don't like to use it as intermittent power. Natural gas will be a winner, but the CAGR growth rate, I'm talking about seven, eight, 10, 15% in certain certain jurisdictions is gonna be the growth in solar, wind, offshore wind, Micro solar projects, macro solar projects, and the big beneficiary are going to be these electric metals because we will also have battery storage. So Wood McKenzie has done some math on this subject for us. To give you context, middle of the road growth scenario, and you could argue it's going to be better than that with all this stimulus, but let's just go middle of the middle of the road. In the next 15 years, we need, we will need on an annual basis, 50 million tons of aluminum, 23, 24 million tons more copper. Copper market right now is 24 million tons, so it doubles. Um, Nickel grows by about 3 million tons. Cobalt, 500,000 tons a year, and lithium by 3.5 million tons. Now, that's gonna require a $1.7 trillion investment from the global mining corporations in the next 15 years. So if you wanna have some, some guidance on how did we get here, During the China super cycle and starting in 2005, how much money did the global mining companies spend on these five important metals capex-wise? The answer is $600 So, David, we need to invest at these prices at a constant U.S. dollar three times more than during all of the best years of of the China super cycle and the two booms that everyone saw that invested in metals and the will will be there the demand is going to be there because people are going to be buying transformers cables everything that makes electrification possible business will be good and general investors will finance these things the, the money will be there because the business case is there but not at these metal prices we need to go and incentivize let's just talk about copper for now you need to make these resources or all what we found in the world pretty much is low grade Uh, resources. So I'm talking about 0.4, 0.3% copper. The outlier is Robert Friedland's Kamoa. uh, And you have some other pockets, but that must not maybe not wishful thinking the engineers and the economics, they must be able to enable a 0.3% copper deposit, maybe at three or 4,000 feet in the Andes that has to become economic, which tells you copper prices. I, I will say in my opinion, in this case, Will surpass the old all-time high and probably we're gonna see something in the tune of you know between twelve and fourteen thousand dollars a ton, which is north of five dollars a pound copper. That's what I, I see taking place.
0: One of the provisions of the Green New Deal is that we're supposed to achieve carbon neutrality by 2050. So 30 years from now, we're supposed to have zero emissions from electricity generation in the US. Now I'm looking at the EIA data again. In 2019, only 17% of electricity was generated from renewables how are we going to get from 17% to 100% in 30 years like what kinds of infrastructure changes are required for that to happen it must be unimaginable
1: yeah you have to look at countries that are that do not have an endowment in fossil fuels now i'm in the bahamas bahamas is an island population is just under 400,000 people can they now over the next 10 years implement something where everything other than airplanes and helicopters but everything else is a fossil fuel free energy generation and, and utilization. Absolutely. Can Japan do this? Once again, population, some 150 million people, they do not have an endowment of fossil fuels, relatively small in size. Yes, they can. The other countries, the industrial superpowers of the world, they do not have a fossil fuel endowment. Germany, Italy, a growing India, China for that matter, there are importers of fossil fuels. Net zero, that's going to be very difficult, but if you get a, a large part of the way there, the collateral benefit is not just in, in emissions, but it's also particulate pollution in the cities around the world. And it, it will happen. W- w- in 2050, whether they actually get to net zero with some of the proclamations that various governments and and prime ministers and presidents are making, that might be difficult, but we'll get very close to it.
0: Do we need this? I mean, skeptics of... of- Green energy point to the fact that to produce green energy, the the infrastructure construction, the uh, implementation, the transportation, battery manufacturing, all that is going to contribute to to greenhouse gases anyway. And people are still going to travel with airplanes and uh, and, uh, and and cars are still going to use diesel. Uh, electric cars are taking market share, but it's going to take decades for for a mass for mass migration into EVs. That's that's the argument against this.
1: Yeah, nothing comes for free and people will, I don't know if anyone saw that, that that ridiculous Michael Moore documentary that came out where they're talking about the pollution that it requires to make a steel uh, tower for a wind turbine. What they failed to tell you, what anyone with common sense knows, if you make the steel and you make the turbine, that's, that, it'll stay there for 20 or 30 years. The other path, when you do not make a sustainable, long-term way to create, transfer and utilize energy, you have to do that every single day. In the context of a coal power plant, okay, sometimes you have to have it. It's the only form of energy perhaps in, in, in some rural area, but day after day after day, it. most CEOs in, in global power, they're moving away from thermal coal, not for these issues, but because it's the economic sense. It just doesn't make sense. And so um, I, I, I struggle with that argument. I think that it's the incentive is there. Most importantly, for the, for the corporations, the okay. CEOs on those companies, and then the rest falls in place. Let's look at the world has changed. You know, I, I told you before that people are used to say, um, I suggest, and I submit, we're looking at the facts. People are saying like for Exxon, Exxon doesn't have to carry or doesn't have to care about energy transition, but the market does their investors do look at the market cap of Exxon. Look at the market cap of the incumbent automotive Um, companies. Look at Ford, for example. Do Do most people realize that Ford Corporation has had four CEOs since 2014? Why? Failed policies. The German automotive industry, we have new CEOs at Volkswagen, BMW, and Mercedes, and they all drop the ball. So what they're doing now in Germany, in excess of $100 billion, is being invested to retool the entire automotive industry there to be electric cars, once the world's automotive fleet is 30 or 40 or 50% electric, then comes all the infrastructure required to power those cars, not with thermal coal power plants, David, with houses, micro plants, in some cases it will be done on a larger scale, but the Kager growth rate once again for copper and for these things, they take typically 400% more copper per megawatt of utility, transmission, um, not transmission, but generation and utility.
0: No, Johnny, I think everyone that I know personally agrees with you in, on that front. Everyone likes electric vehicles. I mean, if anything, Tesla has proven that we can't get good performance out of an EV. The, the question is not whether we should have EVs, but how we should power them. Because according to some research, the demand, let's say if everybody switches to an electric car tomorrow, we're not going to have enough electricity to, gener- to, to to power that fleet. Also, who's going to build the charging stations? We don't have enough of that on the road either right? So yeah. there, there are these infrastructure problems that need to be overcome. Can they be overcome?
1: It, it, it's a long answer. Yes, the, in simple terms. I drove across America in 2016. I've driven countless thousands of kilometers also in Europe, many different countries. It does not take a long time to build the infrastructure. This, this happens very quickly. Tesla already did it. Other companies are going to have to follow suit. And for the, the question, if everyone came home at 5 p.m., and charge their car at the same time with today's infrastructure, yes, that we would not have the ability to do that. But no one's going to do that, David, because you have an incentive. In most jurisdictions around the world, after midnight, nobody's using electricity. You would have an incentive. If you want to pay four times more for your electricity to charge your car at five o'clock, you're entitled to do that. Who's going to do this? Nobody. You charge it at midnight, the tariff falls dramatically. In every different power company and jurisdiction, they will do it differently, but you know what? People will vote with their wallets, and it's a lot cheaper. To fill up an electric car at midnight in most jurisdictions, even if you live in, a, in, a, in an expensive electricity market, we're talking 5 to $10, not big money. The incentive is there. It's a huge business model. Oh, and by the way, they're already doing it. Royal Dutch Shell bought British gas. Why? Because they've told the world that they will become the world's largest generator and provider of electricity By about twenty thirty five, because the future is electrification.
0: Yeah, that was my next point. I had imagined that actually it's the oil companies that have the most incentive to switch into renewables, right? Because oil, petroleum, is a finite resource. They can't eventually if it's if they don't have any more of it, they're going to go bankrupt.
1: They have to make this change. We already saw this happen before. We used to joke with technology companies that didn't want to change what they were doing. Kodak invented the digital camera and didn't want to advance that technology. We have the automotive companies. But when you talk about oil and gas, the progressive CEOs, we're talking about um, Ben Van Geerden at Royal Dutch Shell, and of course the, the transition now with um, BP, they acknowledge that. They know that they have to make this investment and, and they can't do it um, abruptly, but they can do this in a, to, to, to look at that for the future of their business. And going back to the Sarah Week meetings of 2018 and 2019, all about the future of energy, The argument was how fast this transition to electrification would take place. And you used to be able to make that argument. You might be able to still do that in certain jurisdictions. But did you know the who's who of global energy, four days, all they talk about is the future of energy electrification. Did you know, David, that the word copper doesn't get a line item? Doesn't get a line item. So there's an arbitrage in that. Ignorance or in that misunderstanding that that's how I'm positioned as an investor I believe that it will become it's a little bit more topical now in our circles But you're gonna see it now on Time magazine, the New York Times, Barron's Copper the magnificence of copper that is in fact irreplaceable for these electric networks in the future It's infinitely recyclable and it's irreplaceable this is why We at Copper Bank, we've positioned ourselves to capture what I believe is going to be a disproportionate benefit. And we do this by having exciting exploration projects. We have three of them. We have two advanced development projects, which are not, we're not economic in the $2 copper area. When you start talking three and a half and $4 copper, there's already been a hundred million dollars invested on this portfolio. Now you start looking at that. And something that we're talking about just this week, and this is very important for your readers royalty business in copper. We have two organic opportunities with our 16,000 acres of land holdings, two development projects, where a vast majority of this land does not have a royalty attributed to it. So if you look at that and run a model on a one or 2% royalty for each one of these projects, and then you augment that with a stronger copper market, and if we're successful at getting a partnership or a joint venture, with, of course, a major mining company on one of these projects, the value of that, there's a tremendous amount of value. And you, people should have seen that recently the, the big ramp up in certain royalty companies. And it's a fantastic business because it doesn't require a big team. It gives long, stable returns once those projects go into production. And we have a division within Copper Bank that I think is totally uh, misunderstood. And there's an arbitrage there for people to, to better understand it. So I can focus people on Copper Bank's website. My keynote at Sesco from 2017, which is very topical, I've been sending it to some of the the copper CEOs that that were actually at the meeting. I've been doing that the last couple of weeks. And I say, boy, that is, it could be told today that that, that's a 25 minute, very concise um, A to Z on global energy and the role that copper is playing and will play. And I think people will find it very topical on the energy zone, Copper Bank's website.
0: Okay, I have one one more question about copper, Johnny. I know you're bullish on copper due to the uh, electrification story, but uh, if we go back and go back in time a little bit, the electrification story is not entirely new. So people have been shifting towards EVs for more than a decade with Teslas and other manufacturers, Volkswagen, BMW, Mercedes, they've all been doing it to some extent, Toyota. Now, uh, copper has fallen from around $4.40 in 2011. I'm looking at the chart too. It bottomed to around $2.28 in 2016. And then it slowly climbed back up. So during that time, we still had a decrease in copper prices. What happened in the last decade? And what could be different this time?
1: Well, I'll put my consumer's hat on. And I mean, copper is an input for the fabricators of the world. Who celebrates a high copper price? Nobody. So it's, as Robert Friedland has been saying, it's the revenge of the miners coming. So you have about 20 CEOs of the largest integrated mining companies that produce the vast majority of the world's copper. It's those people against the world. And it it would make sense to me that normally in most circumstances, the consumer is very happy for the market to be just a little bit imbalanced. And if you liken it to, um, to a concert where tickets are being sold doesn't matter. Even if there's 20 tickets available still, there's no premium for that concert. But the second it changes, and which we're seeing right now, a bit of a scramble. Uh, warehouse levels are coming to all-time lows. You look at the Sheffy inventories, LME, and Comex, uh, irrespective of market players. When we're talking about a 25 million ton market that's going to climb, the kegger growth rate, by the way, middle scenario, is about 6%. Eventually, you do run out. And when, what I love about the commodity business, because every once in a while, Running out of a commodity, David, does not matter until it matters. And then it matters a lot. But this time, not to say it's you know, different this time, but you do have a once-in-a-hundred-year transition, and that is not well understood. I know this because of Sarah Week, when you have all these energy people, they do not understand how important and how delicate to, to, to bring new copper production um, to market it does not work at $3 copper, or 275 copper. And in fact, you're gonna need something significantly more. So there's a tremendous arbitrage there. So prices, to me, um, it makes sense.
0: Final question, you brought up the rare earth metals. Which of these metals are your favorite? You mentioned scandium, so what, what is that all about?
1: I love scandium because it's something that's, it's a secret ingredient that you add to aluminum. And once you've done this, aluminum can be better welded. You don't have to use rivets on an airplane, for example. It is super strong for less content. So if you were an automotive manufacturer and you wanna make your car more efficient, you can then use this fortified aluminum instead of steel or less aluminum. And all you need is about 1% or half a percent of scandium inputted there. Now, why haven't they done this before? They did not have many primary scandium deposits. That's changing. There are a few in Australia and other parts in the world, but there's um, a company I've been following, Imperial Mining Group out of Quebec. They're located in Quebec. Quebec's a huge aluminum market. It has a simpler metallurgy and they're driving this Crater Lake deposit to be something that could be this chicken and egg. If the product is there, certainly the aluminum industry can use a lot more scandium. So that is something that I think people need to look at. Rare earth elements are very important. And I think that there's a a, a sort of a a, a renaissance or a a rare earth element 3.0 Uh, boom, that is actually already underway. But now we can start looking at the more important of the rare earth elements. Niobium is another one, but I like scandium. Mm -hmm. I'm following this trade. I believe that the industry is going to adopt more and more of this. And it's something that people should follow. It's not a next day story, but certainly um, you'll see this every quarter, every year, more and more important. And uh, I would focus on Quebec for for that type of commodity. Okay.
0: Very interesting. Thank you, Johnny, for coming on the show today and giving your thoughts. I appreciate it. Thank you, David. Thank you for watching Kickle News. I'm David Lin, stay tuned for more. Where are we right now in the commodity cycle?